All right. Um, well, yeah, my name is David, David Livingston. Uh, most everything Drake said about me isn't true. Um, I'm just like a normal sinful guy who really loves Jesus. Um, and it's really cool even hearing some of that because often when we're following Jesus, sometimes you ne- you're never able to, like you see the work in other people's lives, but you're never able to see the work God's doing in, in you. So that's actually really cool. Thanks. Thanks, Drake. Um, open up your Bible to James, okay? James. This is like a little bit of a sort of intro to the retreat this weekend. Um, and I'm going to be honest, uh, this is, we're, gonna, we're not going to start off soft, all right? <laughs> James 4, if you've got a Bible, turn there. Um, as you're turning there, yeah, so my, my story, you'll hear more of it this weekend, but basically I was sitting in a room like this in, uh, in Ames, Iowa, Iowa State University, and I just like was hearing the Bible opened up and preached, and that's where I became a Christian. And it was actually on weekends like the one you're about to go into where God did um, unbelievable life transformation in me. And so I really am just like, excited for you. Not because like I get to teach you the Bible, but I'm just excited for you because I just know that Jesus seems to just dump a ton of unique grace on weekends like this one, and I'm so excited to be a part of it with you guys. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to read this text, James 4, the beginning, and I just want to give you a heads up. He does not pull any punches, okay? <laughs> so if you're here the first time and you're like, I wonder what kind of message is going to, this is going to be, or if you're like, all right, this is a guest speaker, I wonder how he's going to start. Well, I'm going to start by reading you something that James says uh, that is pretty intense, all right? So here's what he says, James 4.1, talking to a group of Christians in a church much like this, he says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And, and you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You actually ask to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. How's that? Okay, look what he says next. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So... Some of you are like, why would you come and pick this passage for the beginning of a fun weekend? Well, when I did the Ames retreat last year, I started with the flood, okay? So (laughs) you're getting off easy, okay? This is like much more tame than that message, I assure you, okay? But this is not a comfortable conversation the Apostle James is trying to have with us as Christians. It's not comfortable, And it's not an easy conversation, and actually it's a conversation that no one wants to have, but actually also not even just you don't want to have it, you don't even want to kind of be in the room when the conversation happens, but this is God's word. This is God's word. 
And I want to just start by having us kind of picture the scene that he's painting for us, okay? I want you to picture this. Like you walk into Salt Company on a Thursday night. A normal Thursday night, you, you come in, or maybe it's like tonight, right? You come in and you're like excited. Like you, maybe you just like aced a test and you're like nailed it. And you're like walking from your test here. And you're like, I'm going to get my worship on. It's going to be awesome. Like I am super excited. I'm signed up for the retreat. I am so excited to be here. You're enjoying the service, and eventually you sit down, and a guest speaker comes up. And the guest speaker is the Apostle James. James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This dude with insane kind of spiritual power, he's an apostle. And he comes, and he stands on stage, and he starts to speak. And the very first thing this apostle, this leader of God does, is he says your name. It's the first word out of his mouth. He just says your name. And you're like kind of not paying attention at that point. You know, you're like fumbling with your, your notes. You're like, wait, wait, what? And everyone's like, your name, your name, your name. And you like look up and he just, he says your name again. And you're like, uh, what? You know, and it's your full name. So it's not like, well, maybe he means another Sarah, right? If your name's Sarah, don't, don't be weirded out. It's just, it's just a common name. Okay, so he says your name. And, and you're like, well, I don't really know what's going on. It's a guest speaker. Maybe he has like door prizes or something. Maybe it's like a free iPad. So you're like, okay, I'll get up. And so you're like, okay. I, and you're like waving your friends like, I'm going to go up on stage. This is cool. And so you start walking up. And as you see James, you kind of see his face. You realize like you're not getting an iPad. <laughs> you're not getting an iPad at all. And as you get up to stage, you start to become really uncomfortable because all of the eyes of everyone in the audience are on you. But more than that, James and his eyes are on you. And he just says to you, as soon as you get up on stage, he says, I know. And as soon as he says that, your heart starts to flutter a little bit. And your pulse starts to quicken. And, and you're like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what do you, what, do you, what do you know? What are you talking about? And he just says it again. He just says, I know. And at this point, your heart is beating out of your chest. And you're thinking about all the different kinds of things that he could know. Because this is James the Apostle. Man sent from God. Power of God on his life. And then what he says next is he just says, with loud clarity, he says, I know about the affair. And there's this hush that kind of goes through the room, and there's these murmurs and whispers of people in the crowd, like, oh my gosh. Because an affair, like, that's, that is a weighty accusation. Right? Like, the deception, the duplicity, the evil to the level that is significant, and the people in the audience know it, and they feel the weight of it. But even as you hear that, you actually start to, you start to breathe a sigh of relief, and you're like, okay, good. Like, that's, that's not me. You're like, I'm, that's, that's not my story. I'm not that person. And so you say that, and you're like, oh, you have the wrong person. And then he says, no, I don't. And he pulls out from on stage this massive envelope. It is like inches thick. And he takes this and he basically just like slams it down on the pulpit. 
And this is this massive envelope, and it's overflowing with like documents and records, and like this like message conversations, text message conversations, phone records, photos, videos, just like evidence upon evidence upon evidence. And he goes through this entire presentation of the evidence collected against you. And at the end of his presentation, there's a pile of evidence that is just stacked on the stage. I mean, it is massive. It is overflowing. It's falling off the edges of the stage. And as he finishes, you sit there and you're still in denial. And you actually start to like shout out to the crowd, right? Like, no, that's not me. Like, that's not who I am. I'm not like that. And you actually start to like run off of the stage and start to grab the people around you you know and you're like just saying, that's not me, like that's not my story, I'm not like that. But even as the words, they come out of your mouth, you look back to this like mountain of evidence that is stacked up on the stage and you realize and you see with a depth of clarity and piercing pain that actually it is you. What is stacked and heaped up on itself in front of everything is actually proof of who you really are. That you are an adulterer. You are unfaithful. And this stack of evidence shows that you weren't just unfaithful once, but actually you have been unfaithful again and again and again and again. Tonight, James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he's going to talk to us about an affair. And he's going to bring evidence and he's going to bring proof. And it's not one that's happened in the past, but it is one that is ongoing. And it's one that deeply affects your life because it's yours. It's not a comfortable message, it's not a feel-good message, but it's a gospel message. And it's the only message that James could bring us tonight that would actually transform us into the kind of people he intends for us to be as followers of Jesus, okay? I promise it has a decent ending, okay? The evidence, the betrayal, and the verdict. Are you ready to read this with me? This is what he says at first, okay? He starts with the evidence. Look at verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? So he's talking about the church, right? Like Christians in this kind of community trying to figure out, right? Obviously, like some of you in the room, you're not Christians. You're trying to figure out, do you follow Jesus? But generally, this room of people who are trying to follow Jesus, he's talking to a group of people like that. And he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And if you've actually read James before, you know this isn't a new theme, but he keeps kind of talking about just it's sin issues that are happening in the church, like things that shouldn't be happening, but they are. And he talks about it all the time. And he kind of summarizes all of the past chapters by just saying, hey, two words, fights and quarrels. And what James is going to do is he's going to take these things that are happening on the surface, and he's actually going to show us what's happening in our hearts. And so first, what is he seeing? Well, he sees quarrels and fights. And what's interesting is he doesn't just mention like a specific fight, right? It isn't like, hey, uh, Steve and Henry, like, you guys got in a fight after Saul, and, like, you punched each other, and that was horrible, and so you should not do that, right? He's not talking about, like, a specific thing. He's just saying, generally, as a whole, I'm addressing all of you, quarreling and fighting. This is happening in this Christian community, and it's also happening in this group. 
right? And we can see this, right? It's like the way we speak to each other on social media. It's, it's the way that we fight with our roommates or kind of this low-lying frustration we always have about Ken who never does his share of the dishes. Am I right? Yeah, I am right. It's always Ken, okay? We feel this, right? Or you get in arguments with your siblings, right? And he's not describing that, like, really random things. He's describing things that are just normal descriptions of our lives, right? The way we posture ourselves above other people or compare ourselves to others. He is describing very normal, regular patterns in our life. But what is interesting is every time we have an issue with someone else, right, we can explain why. It's obvious why we have an issue with someone else, right? What's the reason? It's because of them, right? Something in them, the answer is always the same, right? It's because of their ignorance. Or maybe it's because of like their toxic political views. Or it's because of their laziness. Or it's their selfishness. Or it's their personal issues. Or it's actually just their complete lack of empathy and care for me. It's because of their, and you just, you fill in the blank. We know how to do this. We do this. This is our normal life. And actually, you could think of the last person you know, maybe someone in Salt Company, maybe someone that you know, that you've had this like fight with, this quarrel with. And it doesn't even need to be one that was kind of brought out in the open and you even talked about it. It could just be something that's happening in your heart. What was the reason for that? Well, James tells us, he says the reason that even in this Christian community, there's this kind of like fighting and this bickering. He says it's not because of something in them, it's because of something in you. And this is what he says, and he says, this, is it not this? Is this not the reason that your passions are at war within you? And he uses this word passions, and it's actually this kind of Greek word hedon, which means just pleasure. It's like where we get this word hedonism. And so he's basically saying there's this desire and longing that you have within you, but it's actually a desire for worldly pleasure. Material, physical, earthly comforts, right? Sex and drink, affirmation, success, money, fame, influence, whatever the world says is valuable, these worldly pleasures, these are the passions that are actually at war inside of you. It's like this big junk drawer term, this massive range of human desire. And that's actually what he says in the next verse. He just calls it desire. He says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. And you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so he's saying your passions are at war within you. And actually these passions that are at war within you actually cause this war to kind of spill out into the relationships around you. And he says you don't, you desire but you don't have, so you murder. Is anyone else weirded out by that? <laughs> like, did anyone else read that and you're like, what the heck? Are there just people murdering each other in the early church? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there were. Um, okay. Why does he say this, though, right? Why does he say this? It's probably not. Okay, probably not. Probably not people murdering each other. What's happening is what he's saying is that James is saying the passions that are at war within you, these desires that actually so much of your day, they fill your heart and they fill your mind, these are actually the same passions and desires that lead to murder. Same thing. And actually, Jesus says this, right, in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if you even get angry with someone else, you will face the same kind of judgment. And you're like, well, how is it that someone gets murder someone and gets angry, same judgment? Well, it's the same judgment because they actually both come from the same place. And Jesus and James are saying both of these are actually manifestations of the same fundamental problem, 
Then inside of us, inside our hearts and minds, there is such a frenzy of passions, of pleasures, of worldly desires that it is as though there is a war going on inside of us. And he's saying you don't have to look far to see the evidence of this battle inside of you. Do you ever get angry with people? Do you ever fight? Do you ever quarrel? And it's just like one example, right? He could have used so many others. It's just one. And he's not, his point isn't even to talk about the fighting or the bickering or the gossip. That's not his point. His point is to point deeper to that fundamental thing. This war of passions. This unmet desire. And now he's going to turn a corner. Look what he says next. The last half of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. But you, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he just says, you adulterous people. And make no mistake, he's talking about you. Here's what James is doing. He's drilling down into our hearts and he's showing us that the war that's going on in our lives is actually a result of a war that's going on with our creator. He's saying, you don't have because you don't ask. It's not about prayer. Right? He's saying, actually, there's something broken about our communication and our relationship with God. Like, you're not even talking to him. But then it's actually deeper than just a communication issue. Because what he says next is he says, when we do ask, when we finally come and we actually pray to God and we have this relationship with him, we ask wrongly and we ask to spend it on our passions. Meaning that when we actually go to God... And when we actually start to communicate with him and enter into relationship with him, the goal of that talking communication with him is not to gain a deeper relationship with God, but so often it is actually to get him to give us what our heart really wants. To give us the thing we're actually in love with. And this is such a really hard passage because he's talking about one of the most intimate things a Christian would do with God, prayer. It's so intimate. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing that God the Father has invited us into is to pray to him. And he's saying the problem is that so many of your prayers, you come to God in that intimate relationship. And what you do is you ask him to give you the other thing you're in love with that's not him. He's talking about a betrayal. So there's the evidence, and he wants to talk to you about the betrayal. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. And then he goes on, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world, it's hostility with God or enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that he says that he jealously kind of yearns over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And so he's saying these passions in you, they're worldly passions. They're a desire for the love of the things of the world. They're not actually a passion and love for the things of God. And he says, what's really going on here? I'm going to give you a word for it. And he just says, it's, it's adultery. One of the reasons that we have a problem with how serious the Bible takes sin is because we think sin is about breaking rules, Right? That's the way most of us naturally think about sin. If we think of it like speeding on the highway or maybe even like cheating on a test, it's like some small infraction and some like failure to live up to this perfect standard. And we're like, hey, we know that the God's standard is perfect and we don't meet up to that. And we just say, whatever that is, that's sin, right? But the Bible normally doesn't talk about it that way. 
Because God's not a distant judge who gives us guidelines on how to live our lives. And because he's not distant and because he's not abstract, it means our sin isn't either. But the Bible is about a God who's not just our creator, but he's the lover of our souls. It's about a God who's come near to us, who's joined himself to us in covenant relationship, who's provided for us, who cares for us, who watches over us and gives us all of himself. And actually the Bible even says that he even put marriage and like sexual intimacy into the story of the world as like a sort of analogy of the kind of intimacy he wants to have with his people. And he says, when you give your minds and your hearts over to these passions, when you kind of live this this life for those things of the world, he's saying you're not actually breaking rules. You're breaking the heart of God. It's not a standard you're offending. It's the God who loves you. And this is the point of all the evidence he's heaped up on stage. He's kind of piled it all for you to see. It evidences itself in the way you treat people. This, this affair, this adultery, it evidences itself in the daydreams you have. It evidences itself in your greed and your coveting of what others have. It evidences in the words that you use against your brother or sister who has a different opinion than you do on social media. And it's saying all of this, all of it is the result of a heart that instead of being caught up in love and affection for the God who loves them and even sacrificed himself for them, All of this is a result of a heart that is actually in love with the world. It's the result of people who have abandoned the vows and covenant that God made with them and have rejected and ran from the loving arms of God and into the arms and into the bed of another lover. It is the result of an unfaithful people. It is the result of an adulterous people. And the message that James has for us Like the thing he's saying to a group of people like me and like you, adulterous people, his message is that actually in the situation we find ourselves in, there's no room for laughing and there's no room for joy, but instead he says we should mourn and we should weep and we should be wretched because our lives and our relationships, they all bear the marks of our infidelity. And we haven't just broken a list of rules or commands, but at our core, our fundamental problem is that we are unfaithful lovers. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, we have betrayed the gracious, loving heart of God. And now he's going to talk about the verdict. Because the evidence has been stacked up, and the betrayal and the affair have been clearly laid out. And now the question for those sitting in this room, those who have abandoned God and loved the world, those who find themselves in the arms of a false lover, and this isn't just like in the past, this is like today, this week, for me, this week, this is my story. Drake might talk about me and talk about how my life is like, I'm shaping him and I'm doing these godly things. I'm telling you, if you would see into my interior life, you would see it is marked with daily sin. Adultery of all kinds. And so the question for people like me and people like you is what is the verdict over our lives? And I want you to just picture that scene. 
once again, right? The room, this room turns into a courtroom and the evidence is stacked up and it is not abstract evidence, right? It is visual, it is explicit, and it is damning to you, right? You are the unfaithful spouse and it wasn't because of him, right? His love has always been perfect to you. His hands and his feet, they bear the marks of the kind of love and faithfulness that he's had for you always. And yet you've ran from him and you've betrayed his love again and again and again and again. And as you stand here and you are about to hear this sentence, you're about to hear the verdict and the response of your infidelity and your adultery. And as James brings his case before you and before all who are around you, The word that rings out in the courtroom as he slams down his gavel over your life is the word grace. 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 James 4, 5. But he gives more grace. understand how astonishing that is. I've been reading this for 12 years and I don't get it. I don't get why that's the verdict over my life. The story of the Bible is a story of the unfaithfulness and adultery and the complete betrayal of God that goes so much deeper than any of us will ever know. But at the same time is the story of a grace and a jealous love of God for us that goes even further and deeper than all our sin. And as the gavel is slammed down and grace is pronounced, he runs to you and he wraps his arms around you. And as he hugs you, you can feel in his flesh the cost of your redemption. You can feel it in the holes in his hands and his blood-stained feet. Your life bears the marks of your unfaithfulness to him, but his body and his life bears the marks of his faithfulness and love to you. The message of the Bible, the message of the gospel is that as far as we have run from God, he has outran us. Some of you are in the room tonight. You need to hear that. You have run so far from God. So far. And it was so intentional. You need to know that he has outran you. And wherever we are in our life, he always stands with arms outstretched, eyes filled with love, heart filled with grace. Tim Keller just says it like this. He says, this is the gospel We are more sinful and more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, but at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And it's because of this that James ends this section like this. Look what he says. He says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the God and before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Listen, it isn't sinful, broken people that God opposes. 
No, it's proud people he opposes. The people that God opposes are the kind of people who hear a message like this and they think that is a message for someone else. They're in the room and they're like, I'm so glad my friend is here hearing this. Or I'm really glad that I hope the people around me are listening. Listen, God opposes those people. He opposes them. He withdraws from them. And James is saying, don't be like this. He's saying, don't do this. He's saying, I know this message is hard, but he's saying, don't defend yourself from it. Don't protect yourself from it, but actually humble yourself under it. And for those of you in the room tonight who are actually crushed by this, those of you who are actually completely overwhelmed by the weight and the reality of your sin, those of you who are not arguing with James over the state of your lives, but you are actually just completely shattered by who you are and your choices and how unbelievably blatant your rebellion and betrayal of God has been. For those of you in the room who you feel like that tonight, you need to understand it is exactly in moments like this where God draws closest to you. Your sin does not repel him from you. The reason that we need to hear this is because this is the exact opposite of what we think God is like. When our sin is exposed and we see ourselves not just as lawbreakers, but as adulterers, right? Like the deepest form of sin you could have. The last thing we think we could do is draw near to God because he's the one we've betrayed. And so often what we do is instead of humbling ourselves, we lie to ourselves, right? We create a false version of ourselves. We create an ideal version of us. We, we create a faithful version of us. And that ideal, it isn't real, it isn't true, but if we're honest, it's the person we wish we were, right? It's the person we so badly want to be. And so we come to God pretending to be that person. And we walk into church and we walk into salt company, we walk into small group pretending to be that person. And even when we look into the mirror, we try to convince ourselves that we are that person because we think that that ideal version of us is the person God could love. You think that that version of you is the, the version of you that God could actually be proud of. James says, no. No. James, you have to understand, James is saying something that is stunning to sinful people like me and you. He is saying that God wants to draw near to you as you are today. He's saying he isn't in love with the ideal version of you. He is in love with you as you actually are today. And we think that if we were to take off the lie and honestly and humbly present our sin-filled, greed-filled, selfish, adulterous hearts before God, then that would be the moment he would actually turn away from us. How could he not? But this text tells us that it is actually in that moment of vulnerability and fear and humility that that is when God draws near to us. And so I want you to just hear this really specifically. Your sin, your addiction to pornography, your fantasies, your greed and desire for a different life, your laziness and terrible choices, your, your hidden rage, your anger, your alcoholism, your abusive tendencies, your love and desire for everything God opposes. 
those things in you, they do not repel God from you, but they are the very things that draw your father's heart in love towards you. The most horrible and shameful parts of your life, they are the very parts of you that cause your father in heaven, you cause his heart to well up with love and mercy and grace for you because he does not love the ideal version of you but he loves you exactly as you are today. He is not stuck with you. He is not putting up with you. He is proud of you. The story of your life is a story of unfaithfulness. And no matter how far into your journey with Jesus you are, James' words are still true of you, right? There's so many areas of our hearts, there's so many areas of my heart where I'm still more in love with the world than the one who has given his life for me, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick, and tonight, you have to know that his arms are open wide for you. No matter how far you've run from him, or no matter how many times you've actually, after you became a Christian, you have made a train wreck of your life. His goal is not to condemn you, but his goal is to draw near to you. It is stunning that God would not just forgive people like us, but that actually in our sin, he would invite us to draw near to him. He doesn't just forgive us and say, okay, you're forgiven, but stay over there because you've really hurt me. He's inviting you to come close, to come in, because he loves you exactly as you are tonight. That's what we're going to do the rest of this weekend. We're going to draw near to this God who has even more grace than we have sin. Okay? But let me pray for us, and we'll worship for a bit tonight. God, every time I read that passage, I, I cannot believe that the verdict over my life, the sentence over my life would be that I get grace instead of condemnation, that I get love instead of rejection. God, I'm just stunned by it. Even right now, I'm stunned by that. And so, God, I pray that we would be the kind of people who are in awe of that. God, that we wouldn't take our sin lightly or pretend it's just like a small thing that you had to forgive, but, God, we would stand face to face with the reality of who we really are and what we've really done to you and, and the life we've actually lived and the way it has actually affected your heart. But, God, I pray that at the exact same time we would realize that actually... <laughs> Our sin does not separate us from you anymore because of Jesus, but actually because he is the great healer and he is the great redeemer and he came for those who are suffering in sin. That those very things about us are actually the very things that you say, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, you who are overwhelmed in your sin, you who cannot figure out how to find any victory, you who have been doing the same thing on your phone for years and years and years and you cannot figure out how to do this, that you look at those kind of people and you just say, come to me. I love you exactly as you are. 
God, would you forgive some people tonight? And God, would you give some people an experience of you that they didn't think was possible because of how far they ran from you? Would you do that? Amen.